Let's all stand together at this time. I'm going to bring you a message I call Happy, Happy, Happy. Uh, Proverbs <laughs> chapter 3, you'll see why. Uh, happy is a man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Our passage this morning mentions happy twice. Uh, I decided to add one so I could use the famous Phil Robertson phrase, happy, 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 as our title today. And if you don't know who Phil Robertson is... um, He is the patriarch of the Duck Dynasty clan. If you still don't know who he is, that's okay. Uh, He's just a guy who said, happy, 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 and made it his byline. Uh, When God says something once, it's significant. When he repeats himself in a way like he does here in this passage, he does that so we would notice, happy is the man. Happy is anyone, happy or all, who find wisdom. Uh, The writer continues the use of the imagery of God's wisdom personified as a beautiful, godly woman. Imagery that travels throughout this entire book of Proverbs and ends with the famous Proverbs 31, uh, which extols uh, the benefits and blessings of a virtuous woman. And so really this whole concept of wisdom being personified in a feminine way is found throughout the book. Um, and today it's about happiness. Wisdom brings happiness. This is, we say, the season to be jolly. Fala la 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 la. Joy to the world, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Tidings of comfort and joy, or just simply joy, 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 joy. That's one of my favorite Christmas carols. This joy, of course, built around the subject of God's great gift to us, and rightly so. And our practice then of getting and giving of gifts to others that make us happy. Wouldn't it be great if the accumulated wisdom of an entire lifetime could somehow be put in a box and wrapped up and placed under a tree? I had to think about that a little bit. What if I gave that to my grandkids? What is this, Pop? Well, it's my accumulated wisdom for my whole life. (laughs) Oh, great. Thanks, Pop. Yeah, I can just see that. Uh, What if it could be somehow transferred, though, so that it's opened and received? Well, we know the difficulty with that, obviously. It's not that easy to do. Uh, But God gives us a book of His wisdom And remember that this book began with the experience of Solomon when he was a young king, literally just right after he had ascended the throne. David had died. 
And the God of all the universe appeared to him personally with an intriguing statement. Ask, what shall I give you? Ask, what shall I give you? Talking about writing out a Christmas list. Ask, God of the universe, ask, what shall I give you? And of course, Solomon asked God for wisdom. Saying, God, I've got a great task ahead of me. Who am I? I'm just a youth. Who am I to lead such a great people? I need wisdom so I can do this. And God responded. This is in Second Chronicles 1. I don't have it in our PowerPoint this morning. I just wanted you to listen. God responded then by this by saying, because this was in your heart. You see, this, this isn't just something that Solomon made up in order to try to impress God. You know, well, uh, I'm going to ask for something that God would like. No, this was what he really wanted, and God knew that. Okay? Solomon wasn't putting on a show. He wasn't just trying to impress anybody. This was what was really in his heart. And God knew it. Ask me for anything. Solomon said, I need wisdom. God said, because this was in your heart and you've not asked riches or wealth or honor or life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but you have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. That's Second Chronicles 1. Where that story is recorded. A lot of the gifts we get in life have disappointed us, but Solomon knew from experience that this gift of wisdom would not disappoint, and in fact, that it would bring great happiness. He had lived that out himself, he had already seen it at work in his life. And so much did he know this that he could actually say that. All the things you desire. <laughs> wonder where he got that idea. All the things that you desire cannot compare with this quest for wisdom. Of what comes with wisdom. And Solomon knew that happiness will come from that source. I, as I studied for this message this week, I, I found a study. And it's been out for quite some time. So it may be old news to many of you. It was the Harvard study of adult development. It was a study that took 724 men in 1938. Yes, that's not a typo, 1938, who at that time, that originally, uh, they were students of Harvard, sophomores, uh, but eventually the study was expanded to include others from the tenements of Boston, the wealthy and the impoverished, and the impoverished were both then included. They've tracked these men through surveys, medical records, personal visits, and interviews over the course of this time. At least four different directors were over the program. It's been funded by many different foundational grants over the years. It continues, as far as I can tell, even to this day. At least two books have been published. 
I'm not going to recommend them because I haven't read them yet. I did watch one of the videos by the authors from 2015 where he was reporting. At that time, there were still 60 of the original men. And yes, they were all men. You say, why were they all men? Well, remember in 1938, Harvard did not admit women. So they only studied men. Sorry, what can I say? It's Harvard. It's Harvard. 60 of the participants were still alive in 2015. Um, not sure about today. I couldn't find that. Or, but another book's been published. I haven't read it, but I have ordered it. It's sitting uh, in my Kindle now. I will. Because what they were studying and charting these people's lives was to see how many of them live lives of health and happiness. See if they would, it was, how did they turn out in life? They started when they were teenagers and tracked them literally through personal interviews and questionnaires over a whole lifetime. How did they turn out? How many of them lived healthy and happy lives? They quickly would tell you that uh, the ones who ended up living healthy and happy lives uh, did not really correlate to those who had wealth or fame, although many achieved both. Inter interestingly, one of the participants in the study was President John F. Kennedy. Um, he pointed out that a recent survey that they had done, conducted among millennials, found that 50% or 80% rather said their number one major life goal was to be wealthy. Another 50% said a major life goal was to be famous. And yet they found in this study no correlation between being wealthy and famous to being healthy and happy. Um, the speaker in the video went on to say, he's one of the writers and the director of the study now, uh, he said that one of our problems with happiness is that we are constantly comparing what we are on the inside to what we think other people are on the outside. So we compare ourselves on the inside to what other people are on the outside. His point being, of course, that we compare what we know ourselves to be with what we think others are. And it's not a good comparison. Uh, he also said one of our problems with happiness is that it's often being defined for us instead of being defined by us. I would respond to that uh, by saying that while both are valid problems, if we are still thinking we can figure out what will make us happy on our own, we are according to an Arkansas proverb, barking up the wrong tree. When I mentioned this, I must give a disclaimer. When I mentioned this, uh, that I was going to talk about this study today, my wife, being the faithful woman she is, and by the way, uh, she's uh, at Summit Church, visiting another church this morning. Uh, my son is leading his Christmas program as worship pastor at Summit Church in Valonia, so she's there. Um, when I mentioned this study to my wife, she very uh, astutely remarked, I don't care what Harvard says. 
just tell me what the Bible says. And and I get it. I I do. Believe you me, if, if Harvard's on one side and the Bible's on the other, then you know which side I'm going to come down. I'm interested, though, to find out how many of their findings about what makes people happy after observing them over the course of their whole life, from a teenager until death, I'm wondering how many of their findings are going to be confirmed by what the writer of the book of Proverbs puts before us. And I would think, and in fact I can say it confidently this morning, that whenever they got it right, whatever they found in their research that actually is true, it will actually agree with what God says in this passage because listen nobody knows what will make us happy better than God knows God knows and so he has given us this great record of the things that wisdom offers us and by the accumulation then of his wisdom we can enjoy happy and healthy lives, because really those two things kind of go together. Our study in Proverbs 3 does not define the specific thoughts or ideas that will make us happy. That plays out throughout the rest of the book. In a way, this is just uh, still part of the introduction. He's wooing us to this subject of God's wisdom, so beautiful, so divine, so well. He considered all the prophets of life, of silver, gold, rubies, all the things that you might desire or do not compare with God's wisdom. And happy is the man, and happy are all who find God's wisdom. He's going to give us then some general things that God's wisdom provides to us. Without telling us the specifics, those are spelled out later throughout the book. As he gives us specific things that we can do that will alter the course of our life and help us to live happier and healthier lives. Interestingly, the first promise that he mentions is just that, a prolonged life. What does wisdom bring to us? God's wisdom. A prolonged life. Notice verse 16. Length of days is in her right hand. Length of days. So that those who embrace God's wisdom are far more likely to find length of days than those who choose the paths of sin. Now, it is granted there are no guarantees when it comes to life and living Uh, Even for God's people, our experience has revealed that many good, godly, and faithful people will die, and some tragically will die young. Uh, They will die in accidents. They will die of terrible illnesses. Uh, Some will give their lives in battle in the service of their country or on the streets of our cities. Uh, We know that a lot of good and godly people uh, will die young. Uh, However, Uh, We have before us a general principle and a promise that the path of following God's wisdom brings with it the potential of a prolonged life, length of days. 
Now, what we're longing for is to, to live a, a healthy and a happy life. And that may not matter to us in our younger days. We just kind of take it for granted. Uh, you're a, a teenager. I can tell you when I was a teenager, I didn't think very much about life when I was going to be 65 or 64. I, I, I didn't think much about it, honestly. Uh, quite frankly, when I was a teenager, I was so uh, uh, much looking for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ that I, I really never expected to live this long. But here I am. Here I am. And so we have before us then a promise, a promise of God's wisdom that will help us to live ha happy and healthy lives. I love what the Bible said about Abraham. It said that he died at a good old age. Uh, a lot of old age isn't good, but Abraham's was. I love what it said about, about Moses. And he was 120 years old, and yet he was still strong. His natural strength had not abated. His eye was not dim. He was still getting up and going to work every day, right up into the time. Moses didn't die of old age. God took Moses' life because of his failure. But I can tell you, even you young people, what doesn't seem to matter much to you right now will matter greatly as you proceed in life. But it takes some concept of God's wisdom, of wisdom coming from God that's going to project you out of your day-to-day -day responsibilities of getting where you need to go and getting the kids where you need them to go and going to work and paying your bills. And We live so much of our life in the immediate that it's really difficult for us to think about the fact that we're going to live to be 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years old. How are we going to live? God's wisdom. God's wisdom and the application of God's wisdom has a way of projecting our attention into that because God has a plan that will enable us to live a long, healthy, and happy life. That's number one. Then God talks about prosperity. God's wisdom has a plan for prosperity. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand, riches and honor. Now, this is such a relative term. But God's people who follow his truth generally prosper. David famously said, King David, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. It's way, God's way of telling us that God's people who follow his truth generally prosper. Most of us this morning, I think, can look at our possessions and our lifestyle and feel blessed. And if you can't feel blessed, let me encourage you to visit a couple of third world countries and you will start feeling blessed pretty quickly. But there's more to this than material prosperity. There's also the matter of honor, which speaks of the respect that others will have for us. You see, God's wisdom outlines ways that we can make good financial decisions. And the Proverbs are full of God's wisdom for living life. That includes the way that we spend our money. Now, everything about having a good reputation isn't wrapped up in our bottom line. But we don't think highly of people who don't pay their bills or who don't take care of their kids. It's not a way to have a good reputation and be highly thought of. 
So along with this wisdom that God has for us, he tells us how to live our life, how to make good financial decisions. And along with that then will come not only riches, but also honor will be respected. Then wisdom promises a pleasant life. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. It's one thing to have a long life, but it's possible to live a long life as a shriveled drain, an empty soul devoid of the things that make life worth living. This speaks of what we call quality of life. Quality of life. This isn't just a problem for the aged, because certainly as we age, we begin to think about this issue, quality of life. And we certainly begin to look back on our life more and more, thinking about how we've lived. Has my life been lived well? Again, there's no implied guarantees, just a a general principle so that God promises not only give us a, a long life, but quality of life, a pleasant life. And so we'll spend some time in weeks ahead next year uh, looking at what the Bible says concerning this issue of quality of life, how to live a, a pleasant life, an enjoyable life. Proverbs talks about that a lot. And then a peaceful life. Verse 17, all her paths are peace. God's wisdom is a peaceful life. We live in a sin-cursed world these days. And it is populated with people uh, that are living their lives, including us, in a world system that is cranking up for its last mad dash of destiny with the judgment of God. Still, wisdom offers us a peaceful life. As peaceful a life as it's possible to live in a world in which we all work and do business. The path of peace has to do with our interactions with other people. And our relationships, whether personal or professional. Learning then to live at peace with other people. Even those with whom we disagree. What a concept that is. In our polarized culture today. We perhaps forget that Jesus said of Christians. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. He didn't say blessed are the fighters. Or blessed are the arguers. Or blessed are the contentious. Or blessed are those who always take a stand. Or blessed are those who are divisive. But blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called The children of God. David, Solomon's father, was a man of war, so much so that when he wanted to build the temple, God wouldn't let him because his hands were too bloody. David was a bloody man. David was not a man to be trifled with. David was not a man you took lightly. You didn't insult David. I'm telling you, if you went after him, either him or his mighty men would take you out. David was a mighty man of valor. David was a bloody man. While his father was known for his war, isn't it interesting that Solomon was known for his ability to make peace and live at peace? And listen, he, Solomon, remember, Solomon was a Jew. Solomon was the king of Israel. And they were surrounded by basically the same enemies then that they are today. And yet amazingly, King Solomon 
would find a way, not always the best way, but he would find a way to live at peace. God promises a peaceful life, a life without contention. Not totally devoid of it, but not known by it. Not marked by it. As my wife likes to say, God's wisdom will teach us how to play well with others. Now, she doesn't say it just that way. I've told you before, I, I, I like to argue. It's one of my pastimes. I, I've got something in me. I don't know what it is, but I like to argue. I like to argue with other preachers about the Bible. I know that's hard for you to understand. I, I know that preachers argue, yeah, yeah, a lot. And there's something in me that just loved it. She was fond of telling me, you know, I'm, I'm going to kick you off the computer because you don't play nice. You don't play well. You're not playing real good with others. I thought I was playing fine. It's not my fault I made them mad all the time. They ought to just straighten up and get with the program. Listen to me. God's wisdom will teach us how to play well with others. We don't have to. We may disagree with people, but we don't have to just get mad at them or create arguments and strife. God's wisdom is peaceable, what the New Testament tells us. We'll see that also in the coming weeks. A prolonged life, a prosperous life, a pleasant life, a peaceful life, a productive life. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her. The people of God are compared to a tree planted by the waters and thus are assured of her fruitfulness in the proper season at time. Uh, oak trees, for example, are found often found to be over 200 years old and even older and still producing. The olive trees so famous in Israel and other places in the Middle East uh, are actually known to be centuries, even thousands of years old uh, and still producing. And for us, with our relatively short lifespan of three score and ten, to, for us then to go through life and still be producing, productive, living productive lives. This is what wisdom promises, so much so that Solomon says, happy are those who retain her. Interesting choice of words. Any tree you see can be cut down. And it'll never produce fruit anymore. So uh, you can have a tree or, or you can cut it down, but you can't have both. And so wisdom uh, will make you have a, God's wisdom will make you have a, a, a productive life. Uh, uh, you can continue to produce throughout your lifetime. Then a powerful life. Going down in verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. You see, the power of the knowledge and wisdom of God is then demonstrated by his creative power. God is not a consumer. God is a creator. He is the ultimate creator. 
According to popular belief today, conventional wisdom, they call it, the, the universe is a product of absolute chance exploding out of nothing, so it evolves to become nothing. One commentator, or become everything rather, one commentator suge- suggested that this was like a, a, a situation where a math teacher uh, presented a test, their final exam, and uh, they handed it out to the students and sat down, uh, and there it was a complicated, complicated equation, just a whole page full of equations to be solved. Amazingly, some students took one look, just a few minutes to read over the test, and they turned it in and walked out. They were done. They were the ones who read down to the last part before they started solving. Others were sitting there working and working and working and working away. But the ones who read through the equation all the way down to the beginning found out that the very last thing had all of these complex equations all put together, multiplied by zero, which, of course, makes the answer zero. Because we all know that nothing multiplied by everything doesn't create everything. Nothing multiplied by everything creates nothing. And only God, only God has the power then to speak into nothing and create everything. It takes a miracle to create the universe as we see it. It is a constant speaking, according to the psalmist. Day after day it utters speech. Night after night it shows forth knowledge. What is it saying? It is saying that this marvelous universe is the product of our creator God. And no other explanation for it even makes sense. But even then he moves on. He, he, he talks about the, the earthquakes that break up uh, the depths. And, and, uh, and then the, the clouds dropping down the dew. I was curious. So I began to look up how much water actually is held in the atmosphere. And, and, it, and, and the amount of, of the weight is in the billions of tons. A huge amount of water. Uh, that is held in the atmosphere, actually it turns out to be about 55 pounds per square yard for the entire surface of the earth. Can you imagine the power that would be necessary to lift that up if it were measured in amps or horsepower? You see, God shows us demonstrations of his power all the time. And when we accept his wisdom, wisdom that he has demonstrated so powerfully, then we put ourselves where that power is working for us and not against us. God's wisdom. No wonder he'll conclude then with verse 21, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. I realize that we live in the day of conventional wisdom, and conventional wisdom is simply the accumulated wisdom of other people. And somehow uh, we want to look at uh, majority, uh, wisdom by majority. But I stand before you today by saying that when it comes to God, God is a majority of one. God says this this is God's truth, God's wisdom. Hold on to it. Don't turn your eyes away from it. Listen to what God has to say because it will give life to your spirit and grace to your speech.
What a promise. And in today's message, all I did was just scratch the surface just a little. Hoping that in the weeks ahead, we'll return back to these, the formula that he lays out for us and see how that God says, do this, avoid this. And you'll find happiness in life. For all the blessings that we have in living in this country, you would think we'd be the happiest people on the planet. But we're not. We're not. There's a chronic problem of unhappiness. I hear it all the time. I can't even begin to tell you how many people are walking away from their marriage. Why? We're not happy. Walking away from church. Walking away from God. Why? I'm just not happy. Looking everywhere. All over. And I'm not even talking about the pharmaceutical industry there. That would open up a whole other can of worms that I'm not even going to go to today. If they got a happy pill, it may work for a little while. But the problem is that anything we take as a substitute to God's wisdom is going to operate. Listen to me today. It's going to operate under the law of diminishing returns, which means that it's going to take more and more. And it'll do less and less for us. God's wisdom cries out to us. Do this and you'll be happy, happy, happy. Let's stand together.